Welcome to Grace Road. If you would turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 23. If you're new at Grace Road, we typically teach through books of the Bible. And the way that we go about it is usually we just go chapter by chapter through the book. But because the way Proverbs is laid out, we've been approaching it a little differently. And the way that we've been going about it is taking the major themes, the major topics of the book of Proverbs, and each week preaching one of those and trying to compile all the verses in the different chapters of Proverbs, put them all together into one sermon and preach that topic. And what we find in the book of Proverbs is the gospel reenacted. And what we mean by that is when we apply the gospel to our lives, when we refocus our hearts and our minds on the gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and all that that accomplished— When we are in awe of the gospel, we will live out the Proverbs. So as we look at the Proverbs, really what we see is just uh, wisdom of what it looks like for a life to apply the gospel. We looked at, two weeks ago, parenting and marriage. Last week, we looked at relationships. And this week, what we're going to look at is what the Bible says about the evil of envy. The evil of envy. So before we get started, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessings. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we do indeed have 10,000 reasons to rejoice in you, to praise you. God, we look at this subject now of envy, and we've all heard messages on contentment, and yet we experience so little. We've heard the messages on jealousy and envy, and yet we still wrestle with it. And what that tells us is that unless you do something this morning, This will be for naught. Lord, we ask that you would come and speak to us, challenge us, change us, allow the Spirit of God to work on us on the inside and show us that everything we crave for, everything we long for, we already have in Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter number 23, if you turn there, says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So our hearts are not to be envious of other people. We're not to have envy in our hearts. So why don't we do this? Why don't we start with the definition? What is envy? And the definition of envy is when I want something, whether it's a possession, whether it's uh, an emotion, I want something so bad that I envy and I dislike and I resent when other people have it and I don't. So if I, if I want to be married so bad, I think that's going to complete me. I'm going to find my identity in that. That's when I'm going to be happy. When I envy, it's because although I want this good thing, it's turned into a bad thing and I resent the people in my life that actually have marriages. I, I want something so bad that I resent the people in my life that have the thing that I don't. So when we envy, we start to ask the question, why them? Why not me? And what envy does is it, it, it causes us to lose joy because we can no longer rejoice in other people's happiness. We resent them for their happiness. Because they have what we want. It's, it's okay to want things. It's okay to, to long for things. But when that becomes an idol in our heart where we want it so bad, envy creeps in 
and we end up resenting people that have the thing that we want. And it's not always stuff. We tend to think, oh, well, yeah, they have that nicer car or that nicer house, and we can certainly envy those things. But oftentimes, we only envy those things because of a deeper thing that we, we long for. It's the respect that comes with that thing. We long for the respect. We long for the admiration or the acceptance. We think, if I have this, then I'll be cool. Then I'll be accepted. Then I'll be worthy of love. So it's not always the monetary bank account, although we can envy money and we can envy the nicer incomes, but oftentimes it's the acceptance, the love, the purpose, the notoriety that comes. And when we resent someone, because that's what we long for, we, we long for respect and adoration and we want to be appreciated and accepted, then everybody that has that in our lives and we don't, We resent them for it. We envy them. So the guy at work that gets the promotion, instead of being happy for them, we resent them for that. And we start to say, I should have that. I deserve that. So that's what what envy looks like. And the problem is this, that it's so ingrained in our culture, it's just become acceptable. So, I mean, even as I was given this topic to to, to teach on this morning, I think, man, envy? Envy's like the least of our problems. Like, I got big sins that God's trying to deal with, and envy kind of falls on the, the, the low totem pole because I, the, the, the reason we think that is just how it's built into our culture. I mean, the advertising industry is a billion-dollar industry, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you watch commercials. They tend not to sell you a product anymore they're selling you a lifestyle. You see this with beer commercials. They tend not to talk about the beer and what it tastes like and, and where it comes from. Typically, like you see that in the um, Dosaki's commercials, the, the most interesting man in the world. Uh, they're not selling you a beer there. They're selling you a lifestyle. What they're saying is, hey, if you drink this beer, six supermodels will be attached to your side at all times. And I don't know, guys, if you've ever tried that, Well, give that a try tonight. Go somewhere and order that beer and see what happens. Let me know if suddenly Scarlett Johannesson is by your side or if you're just drinking a beer that you paid too much for. But in the commercial, they sell you a lifestyle. Hey, if you drink this, this is the lifestyle that comes. And what are they doing? They're preying on our our desire and our envious hearts to be accepted, to be the man, to be appreciated to be awesome, to be loved and and in that type of crowd. McDonald's does the same thing. McDonald's, if you've ever seen their commercials, McDonald's is awesome at marketing. They have a few bucks to spend on advertising. And every time you see the commercials, like I was watching the Olympic uh, qualifiers last night, and they show these Olympic athletes with six-pack ribs running and then eating a hamburger. And you're thinking, I... I don't know that they eat Big Macs, personally. Like, I I stopped in there today, and I was like, hey, where's all the Olympic athletes? Nobody in here looks like an Olympic athlete. But they sell you a lifestyle. The I'm Loving It commercials has all these young, hip, cool people that look like the Black Eyed Peas just listening to tunes, having a party. And what they're selling you is, hey, if if you eat our food, this is what life's going to be like. 
It's just going to be joyous. It's the, all the things that you long for, you're going to get. And it's false advertising. I mean, because if they were honest, what they would say is, hey, here's a Big Mac. And if you put this 540-calorie monstrosity in your body, you're going to die. You're, you're going to have multiple heart attacks. There's an ungodly amount of sodium and cholesterol in our sandwich. So swing by and pick it up. They're not going to do that. They sell you a lifestyle instead. Uh, Apple does this, and they're masterful at this too. If you remember the old commercials with, hi, I'm a Mac, and I'm a PC. The Mac guy, he's cool, he's hip, he's, he's having fun, he's enjoying life. And the PC guy, well, he's kind of nerdy, and he's kind of boring, and he works on spreadsheets all day. And what they're selling you there is, hey, if you're a Mac user, you're cool, you're hip. If you're a PC user, you're kind of boring and you're kind of lame. That's actually not false advertising, but you still, get the, you, you still get the idea of the fact that they're selling you a lifestyle. It's a billion-dollar industry that says this. Our product will give you what you long for. Our product will give you that lifestyle, that fun, that appreciation, that love that you so desperately envy and long for. If you buy our product, you'll get it. Women magazines do this, and, and they're masterful at it as well. You look at the cover of a, a, a woman's magazine, and the woman is photoshopped, and she's flawless. And why do they do that? So women uh, buy that magazine, they look at it, they stare at that, those images long enough, and then they look in the mirror and go, whoa, I don't look like I was photoshopped. I need to go down to Sephora and buy a bunch of makeup to make me look like what I see here. So what they create is, hey, this is the ideal, this is what you want, and and you don't have it, but if you buy our products, you will have it. And our hearts fall prey to that, and we make gods out of lesser things because of our culture. Our culture just infuses that in us. And because it's so acceptable in our culture, we tend not to think it's a big deal. I don't think most of us think, hey, you know what the big problem in my life is? It's that I just man, I just envy too much. And we kind of minimize it and make it what Jerry Bridges calls a respectable sin. It's not a neon sin. It's not ugly and it's not big and it's not dirty. Like cheating on your wife, that's bad. That's bad. But envy, not so bad. So what we tend to think is it's kind of respectable and no big deal. But as we look at envy this morning, we're going to find that that's not the case. It's very dark. It's very dirty because as we kind of roll the rock of envy back, what we find is multiple sins underneath it that create the envy. Let's look at a few. As as we roll the rock back of envy, uh, we see some things. And the first thing that we see is ingratitude. Ingratitude. If I envy, what I'm saying is, hey, I lack gratitude for what God has given me. Hey, God, I know that you died on the cross and uh, you paid for my sin and you forever justified me with the Father. Though I was an orphan, I became an adopted member of the family completely by your grace. That's great, but I also want some other things. That's not enough. I want more. And that's what ingratitude uh, in our hearts leads to envy. I want more. On top of that, another Sin underneath the sin of envy is pride. It says, God, I have a better plan. 
God, if I was sovereign over my own life, I would do a better job than you. I mean, I have these ideals that I've worked up in my head of what I deserve, what type of job I should have, uh, what type of friends I should have. I have this ideal of what my bank account should look like, and you're not coming through. I would do a better, if I was in charge of my life, I would be doing much better than you, God. So there's this arrogance and this pride. On top of that, it's lust and it's greed. I want more. Whatever you have provided, God, is not enough. I want more. Yes, thank you for this, but more. And we see that in the garden. God lays out in the garden for Adam and Eve everything. But don't touch this one tree. And what do Adam and Eve say? Hey, thank you for all this, but I want more. I want to touch that tree also. And we do that in our lives too. We can be given a whole bunch and we say, hey, thanks, but I want to touch this tree too. And I want this tree too. And I want to touch that tree too. Uh, I asked my daughter the other day, hey, you, uh, you want to go on a date with daddy? And she said, yeah. And I said, hey, where do you want to go? And when, when they were younger, it was very easy. They'd say, oh, I just want to go to the park and walk around with you, daddy, uh, which was real cool. Um, I asked her uh, a few days ago, I said, hey, where do you want to go? She goes, I want to go to Justice, which is a store in the mall for girls. She goes, so bring your wallet. <laughs> All right. Um, she's picked up on my tricks. The last time we went to Eastview Mall, I left my wallet in my car on purpose and said, hey, I, I just don't have my wallet, so sorry I can't buy you this Build-A-Bear right now. Uh, and she's picked up on that. So now it's, bring your wallet. Hey, I'm, I'm excited to spend some time with you, but I got some things coming. It's, it's, it's the greed. It's the, I want more. It's never enough. I'm not happy with just this. I need more. And then on top of that, one more, it's the entitlement. It's the sin of, I deserve this. God, I've been good. I've performed well, and this is the least that you can do for me. Lord, you're in my debt. And again, we may never articulate it that way, but that's, what, that's the, the sin underneath the envy when we say, I want, the, why them, God, and not me? It's, God, I'm entitled to this. And you're not delivering. You're not performing, God, as good as I have. It's dark. It's sin. And it's a failure to understand the gospel. What envy says is, I know God is infinitely holy, perfect, and glorious, but I want this more. And I deserve it. And I have it coming to me. And God, I have no idea why you have robbed this from me. And what that leads us to do is everybody that we see that has the thing that we want, and maybe, again, it's the acceptance, it's the love, it's the respect, it's the honor, it's the prestige, it's the purpose. They have what I want, and I resent them for it. And God, ultimately, I resent you for it, too, because you haven't given it to me. So how do we know if we have envy? Because if you're anything like me, I am pretty solid at explaining away my sin. So I'm not envious, I'm just ambitious. Or I'm not envious, I just like stuff. So how do we know when we're envious? And this is how you know. When your life 
is not good enough. Your spouse is not good enough for you. Your income is not good enough. Your job, it's not good enough. Your children, they don't behave good enough. Your friends aren't friends enough. Nothing is good enough. And it may not be their whole life that you envy, but you envy aspects of their life. And you look at your own life, and it falls short in certain areas. Your body, it's not good enough. Like I said, your, your income, it's not good enough. It's never enough. And when you struggle enjoying what's in front of you, because you're always comparing you to somebody else and wishing you had this or that, then you struggle with envy. When there's things in your life, it's not good enough, God should have done better, now I'm stuck with this or stuck with that for a period of time, but I deserve better, then you have envy in your heart. And like I said, it's hard because it's so ingrained into our culture. We kind of think, hey, it's no big deal. So I want a nicer this or a better spouse or this. But it's dark and it's evil. And Proverbs tells us that it's not harmless. The effects of envy. Look with me in Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy makes things rot. It ruins things. It rots things. And I'll take a look at a few of them. The first thing, envy rots. Envy rots relationships. It rots relationships. Because you can't be happy for the person because you're too busy focused on yourself. So it rots relationships. And it's the relationships that are close to us. Listen, like... Most of us don't struggle with envying Tom Cruise. He's big, he's a superstar, he's an actor, actress, uh, rock stars, all of these bigger superstar famous people. We tend not to really struggle with envy over them. Where we struggle with it is with the people that are close to us. That's why the Bible says don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't cover your neighbor's stuff. Neighbor means close one. Because it's a lot harder not to struggle with envy with the people that are around us. So we see what our friends have. We see what our coworkers have, the people that are close to us. And it's a lot harder not to struggle with envy when we see their houses and, and, and their kids and everything looks greener on the other side. And that's typically where we struggle, with the relationships that are close to us. And when that happens, it rots relationships. You can't be happy with the guy at work who's doing well and being noticed because you're absolutely self-absorbed with the fact that you're not being noticed and you're not getting that respect. You can't be happy with your friends uh, going on vacation and having a nice vacation because you're too busy consumed with the fact that that should be you and why can't you have a vacation? And it ruins the relationship, and it doesn't allow the relationship to be everything that it could be. And, and you, you see what they have, and you know the right thing to do is to muster up some sort of compliment and pretend to be excited for them. So you give them a, a compliment that's wrapped in the, the must-be-nice compliment. The, oh, oh, that's great, yeah. 
must be nice to have parents that'll do that for you. And it, we pretend that it's some sort of compliment, but envy is just absolutely wrapped into that. Ah, it must, must be nice to have a fast metabolism like that. It must be nice to have a husband that will do that for you. It's not a compliment. You're not excited for them. It's, hey, I know I'm supposed to say something nice, but my envious heart is going to be exposed as I give you a compliment. It ruins our ability to rejoice when other people rejoice, to, to root for them. We can't be their ally anymore. We have to be their enemy and root for their demise and not be excited for the things that they have because our heart is so dark, longing for what they have. Envy rots relationships. Envy also rots worship. You can't worship and exalt and praise God when you are ungrateful for the things that he's given you. I mean, you can't come in. You can come in to Grace Road this morning and sing some songs, but that's not necessarily worship. If what's going in your heart is you're so consumed with what you don't have and how God has let you down. So it robs us from magnifying and exalting God and and the justification and the forgiveness and the redemption that we have in Jesus, we can't celebrate that when my heart is so focused on all that I don't have. So it robs our worship because the two things can't be together. I can't be envious and ungrateful and angry for how I've been wronged and how I don't have enough and yet still celebrate the awesomeness and the greatness of God. So if we don't deal with envy, it'll, it'll rot away our ability to worship. It rots away our relationships. One more, it robs our joy. It robs our joy. Think about this. Most sin is pleasurable for a season. Envy might be the only sin that's just straight up not pleasurable at all. It actually robs joy. It takes it away. Envy might be the only sin that actually never even gives you initial pleasure because it robs our joy. We are so focused on how bad we have it, how we don't have enough, how they have it, but they don't deserve it because you've performed better. You deserve it. You need it. If you're ever going to be accepted and loved, then you need to have this and you don't have it. So you keep performing and trying to work for it and it doesn't come to fruition and it robs you of your joy. You can't celebrate. You can't be happy. One more kid story, and I don't want to overestimate your interest in my kids, but uh, first time I took my middle daughter to a movie, uh, I bought the, the movie ticket. I walked over to the reasonably priced snacks at the movie theater and I said, hey, pick out what you want. And she said, I want popcorn. So we bought popcorn. I said, do you want anything else? She said, I would like candy too. I bought her the candy too. And then she said, and I would like a drink. And I said, hey, babe, we're not going to buy the silo of Coca-Cola because you'll drink it for about 30 seconds and then halfway through the movie, we're going to be leaving the movie theater to take you to go to the bathroom. So we're not going to do the drink. And she said, okay. So we went to the movie finished up the movie. I said, hey, anything else you want to do? She said, I'd like ice cream. We went and we got ice cream. As we were sitting up at uh, Abbott's, wrapping up the ice cream, I wanted to kind of hear the words of affirmation. So I said, hey, hey, did you have a nice date with daddy? Wasn't it fun? 
And she goes, it was fun, but you didn't buy me any pop. (laughs) Okay, okay, sorry about that. I thought I had a good reason, but that's what envy does. It it robs our ability to enjoy what God has. Because even when God blesses us with stuff and gives us good things, we're so focused on the fact that that's not what we want. We want this over here. And, and we ignore everything else that he's doing. And we'll have this mentality, hey, thank you, God. Thank you for this. I appreciate that. Wow, that's wonderful. That's great. But you didn't buy me any pop. You didn't give me enough. I'd like more. Envy robs our joy. It robs our ability to rejoice in what God is doing, what he has done, and what he's going to do in our lives because we are so focused on my bank account, the fact that I'm single, or whatever it is that we're looking to to justify our existence, to make us feel accepted, loved, appreciated, and in the in crowd. So that's the effects of envy. What causes envy? What is the sin that's underneath the sin? And we'll go through this briefly, but this is where we need to do the difficult work of our hearts. Envy, and bear with me, envy has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstances. And I know that kind of strikes us wrong, Envy has nothing to do with your circumstances. It's a heart problem. You are not envious because, well, you're single. You are not envious because you married the wrong person. You are not envious because, well, I don't have any children. You are not envious because I don't have a lot of money. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It's a heart problem. The reason we envy is not because we don't have enough, The reason we envy is because we are looking to those things to be our functional saviors. Now, we'll we'll affirm Jesus is my Savior, he's my Lord, he's my Redeemer, but then we look to thousands of other things to give us our justification. So if I feel like to be justified, to be accepted, to be worthy of love, I need to be beautiful, then beauty becomes my functional Savior. And I'll envy everybody who's more beautiful than I. And anybody who dresses better than I. And anyone who gets more attention for their beauty than me, I'm going to envy them because that's my functional savior. That's the thing that I'm looking for to justify me, to make me worthy of love and accepted and adored. If my functional savior is respect and adoration, then I am going to envy anybody who's getting that respect and that prestige and that adoration maybe in the workplace more than me. And I become envious of them because my functional savior is not coming through for me and I need him to. So the reason that we envy is because we are looking to something smaller than Jesus and the gospel to give us only what Jesus and the gospel can give us. So when I look for something apart from Jesus to make me loved and accepted 
I make it an idol, and it becomes my functional savior, and it's going to let me down. And anytime you look to something smaller than Jesus, it will let you down. And then you'll be envious, and it'll rob you of your joy. Because it's never going to come through for you long term. So this morning, we analyze our hearts, and we look at, hey, what is it that I'm really longing for? I'm envious. Why am I envious? Is it because I look to my spouse to justify me, to show my worth and how loved and accepted I deserve to be? Or did I look toward money or this job? All the, the countless things that we look to to find our justification and acceptance. We analyze our hearts this morning and ask, what is it that I've made my Savior? If you make your Savior, your justification, completely Jesus. Envy will lose its grip. But the moment I make things smaller than Jesus, my justification, I'm going to struggle with envying everybody who has that when I don't. If you've ever seen uh, the movie Rocky, and if you've never seen the movie Rocky, either you're not Italian or you have a life. It's one of those two, but... um, in the movie, the, the original one, he's fighting um, Apollo Creed, and nobody had ever beaten Apollo Creed. And he, Rocky had no business being in the ring with Apollo Creed. He wasn't as good of a fighter. And there's a scene where he's uh, talking to his then-girlfriend, Adrian, and he says, hey, I, I don't know who I'm kidding. I, I'm not in this guy's league. And she says, well, what do you mean? You've, you've worked so hard. What are you going to do? And he says, I, I, I don't know, but you know it doesn't matter because I was a nobody before this fight. It's not a big deal. And she says, oh, don't say that. And he says, no, it's, it's true. He says, but you know, what, I, what I've been thinking about is this. It doesn't matter if I lose. And it doesn't matter if this guy opens up my head. All that matters, all that I want to do is go the distance. I want to go all 12 rounds. And he says, because I know that if after 12 rounds I'm still standing, I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. Boxing was where he found his justification. If I can prove myself to be not just another bum in the ring, then I'll be worthy of love. I'll be worthy of acceptance. And for you and I, it's probably not boxing, but there is something that we envy, that our hearts long for, that we have determined, if I have this, if I have this beauty, if I have uh, this standard of living, if I have this type of family, then I won't be just another bum from the neighborhood. I'll be accepted. I'll be in the in crowd. People will want to be with me and around me and they'll like me and I'll have the friendships and the relationships that I want because I'll be worthy of them. We don't want to be just another bum from the neighborhood, and that's what causes us to envy. It causes us to long for something that we do not have. But here's the thing. Here's the cure for envy that we have to get. We can get out of the bondage of longing for things that we think may be out of our reach, and we can get out of the joylessness of envy by recognizing and rediscovering that in the gospel, everything that I long for, everything that my heart envies, 
Everything that God made me to crave has been accomplished for me in the gospel. When Christ went to the cross, uh, before he went to the cross, I was separated from God. I was not reconciled to the Father. I was a sinner with the wrath of God abiding on him. But when Christ went to the cross after living a sinless life, And he died, and while he was on the cross, he took on the wrath of God, our punishment. And by doing that, dying on the cross, paying for our sin, and then resurrecting three days later, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. And if we'll repent of our sin, if we trust in Jesus and Jesus alone and, 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 and leave off the performance of thinking, hey, I have to do something. I have to perform well to be accepted. I have to accomplish these things to be accepted. And we will put our faith and our trust in Christ and Christ alone, not our good works, our good moral behavior, not, our, not be justified by what we have accomplished and the things that we haven't done, but we put our sole trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. We can be reconciled to God, and we become, instead of an orphan, a child of God. And when we are a child of God, all the things that we've longed for to be accepted, we're accepted by God. So if I'm accepted by God, I don't need to find acceptance in smaller things like human approval. I'm unconditionally loved by God. So I don't have to perform and spend my life trying to be worthy of love. I am loved by the Father. I don't need to seek love in smaller things because I'm loved by the Father. Because he performed well for me, I'm free to, to cease from having to try to perform well for myself. The respect, the adoration, to be delighted in, things that we all long for. Christ made it possible for us to have those things at the cross. We have them with God himself. And anytime we take our eyes off of the gospel, then we're going to be envious because we're going to try to find those same things in smaller substitutes that will never come through for us. But when we constantly revisit the gospel and constantly go back to the gospel and the acceptance and the love, the justification, the redemption, the forgiveness, the friendship that I have in Christ that he made, a po- that he made possible, that frees me, liberates me from having to find it in eating McDonald's, buying a Mac, or drinking a certain type of beer. Those things are not going to give me the life and the things that I long for. I find them in Christ, in Christ alone. And I know there's a danger of getting cliche and just saying, oh, everything that you want you have in Christ, but everything that your heart longs for is in Christ. He made it possible with the gospel message, with his actions on the cross, everything our hearts crave for we can find in the gospel. So how does envy, which seems so absolutely ingrained into our hearts, how does envy lose its grip? 
when I find everything that I'm envying in the gospel message, when I find everything that my heart really craves to be accepted and loved, to be embraced, to have friends, to be in community, I find all of that in Christ in in a perfect form, in one that will never let me down. And then I no longer have to have the respect and the prestige at work. I'm free from that because I have the respect of God. I don't need to search in relationships to be adored and see affection because I'm adored by God. So once I focus and revisit and understand the now power of the gospel, that the gospel was not just something that got me from being a non-Christian to a Christian, and now I move on. Once I realize the now power of the gospel, that right now, everything that I need, I still find in the gospel, envy loses its grip. The moment we say, ah, that's fine, I... uh, I don't find everything in the gospel, but I'm going to try to be, you know, less envious. It's not going to work. Willpower will never free our hearts from envy, but the gospel will. When I'm liberated by the gospel, when I find in the gospel everything that my heart really longs for, then I'm free. Then I'm liberated. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? That's the beauty of the Christian message. The Christian message isn't if you work hard, you do better, you try harder, and you perform, that you'll be loved and accepted and embraced. The Christian message is that Jesus made all of that possible for you. That he lived the perfect life to free us and save us from our sins, including envy, that he never envied so he could be our savior in envy, that he took on the cost of our sin for us so that we wouldn't have to. We don't have to perform because Jesus performed for us on our behalf. And whatever holes that we find in our hearts, in our lives, he has filled. And when his his love and his acceptance his freedom, his justification, his friendship penetrates every corner of our hearts. Envy loses its grip. If you've never encountered that unconditional love, the way that we encounter that is, like I said earlier, freeing ourselves from trusting in our own good works and in our own performance. If we come to a place where we acknowledge that our sin has offended a holy God and that our sin deserves punishment and payment, but yet Jesus in his infinite grace and his infinite mercy took on that punishment for us so that we wouldn't have to, if we come to a place where we acknowledge that and in no particular or standard words we just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to pay for my sin but I completely embrace the gift of the cross when you went on the cross and paid for my sin for me, when you became my justification so that I don't have to justify myself, 
If we'll acknowledge that, turn from our sin and put our faith, our trust completely in the finished work of the cross. When we'll acknowledge that Jesus did everything, that we bring nothing to the table, the Bible says that if we'll do that, we become children of God. He justifies us. He redeems us. His payment on the cross pays for our account so that we won't have to. That forgiveness and acceptance is available to all. You have not sinned too much where he would ever not forgive you. If you call upon him, if you turn to him, he will forgive you and bring you into his family and you'll have eternal life. For the, for the Christian here this morning, is that same gospel message that brought you into the family of God still saturating your hearts? Are you still in awe of that gospel and finding all your needs met in the gospel and not lesser things? Or are you, are you trusting in functional saviors? Are you saying Jesus plus this other thing will make me love and accept it? Jesus plus respect. Jesus plus a family. Jesus plus a bigger bank account? Or has the gospel message saturated your heart where you find all of your justification and needs met in the gospel? Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the good news of the cross. Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven our rebellious hearts that are so prone to wander and so prone to find justification in lesser things. Would we not find the satisfaction in lesser things? Would our hearts long for you and you alone? And Lord, this morning, the only proper response is to repent and then worship. Worship for everything that you have provided, everything that our hearts long for, every need that you have met, every blessing. Would you help now the remainder of the service to be one where we cease to be envy, that the Spirit of God would take that away and give us freedom to worship you for all that you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.